The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his views in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battles for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world. Hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. From the Speed Sport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass, here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection service appointment or collision need today's guest mike the team president at joe gibbs racing where he began his career in 1993 as an unpaid intern and has since held nearly every position in the front office including overseeing consumer products communications and sponsorships as one of the longest tenured executives in the sport he has seen JGR grow from 18 employees to nearly 500 and has worked with executives for many of the world's top brands, such as Toyota, FedEx, Mars, Stanley, Coca-Cola, and Comcast. They have NASCAR championships in 2000, 2002, 2005, 15, and 19. Not bad. Say hi to Dave Alpern. Dave, welcome to the show. Here's Mike Wallace. 
How's hey. it going? <laughs> thanks for having me. Well, Dave, thanks for uh, coming on. And uh, man, that was a heck of an intro. Yeah, well, you you you, you <laughs> guys that. deserve it. And uh, <laughs> I, I have to first ask. I listened to the intro, and Jeff referenced an intern, and I almost think it was an unpaid intern. Unpaid intern. That's what it's like. How? Yeah. how we're, we're going to start there. We're going to have to jump around. Yeah. Your life is too interesting just to, <laughs> to follow a format. So let, let's just start right there. Unpaid intern. Explain that to us. Well, they just started paying me last year, so that was good. Nice. And, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, I bet, that, I bet that check was a healthy one is all I can tell yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, so no, tr- truthfully, I, so I, I grew up outside of Northern Virginia. I had the opportunity um, after college to come down and be just that an unpaid intern. So coach was still coaching the then Washington Redskins when he started his NASCAR team. And really they needed a gopher as a go between, uh, for coach between this new race team in Charlotte and coach up in Washington. And I had just finished college. I, uh, Joe's oldest son, JD and I were best friends and it was basically, Hey, here's a guy we trust. Why don't you come help us for six months? And uh, we basically need you to be a gopher. So, I, hey, I figured this will look good on my resume. I actually wanted to be a sportscaster. So I thought, hey, I'll go do this for six months, help the family out, and then I'll go do my thing. And uh, uh, 30 years later, they haven't gotten rid of me. But uh, truthfully, I moved to Charlotte, sight unseen, um, I I told my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, you know, look, I wanted to marry her. Her dad said, you need a full-time job. So I was motivated. You can imagine everyone's reaction when I said, I've got this hunch. I'm going to move to Charlotte. I'm going to work in a broom closet for free um, just because I have a hunch that everything Joe Gibbs touches turns to gold. And I think this is the right thing. So I, I moved to Charlotte. I actually slept uh, slept on a on the floor. Uh, J.D. Gibbs and another guy, Todd Meredith, they had an apartment. I slept on I slept on the floor for for a long time until um, we were able to until I was able to have my own room. And and honestly, at the at the race shop, they didn't have anywhere to put me, so they emptied out a, a broom closet. And I had one of those elementary school desks where the top's attached to the bottom. <laughs> um, all seriously, and there's. So there's no electrical outlets in a broom closet. So I had an extension cord that went out into the hallway. And this is this is early 90s. So there's no internet. There's no, like, I have no screen. I have, like, a spiral notebook. I have a floor lamp. And I had a phone. And the phone cord went all the way out to the receptionist. We had to tape it to the floor. And I don't think the phone rang for six months. Because, again, who's going to call me? I'm, I'm, the, I'm the unpaid intern, carpet walker, as the guys in the back called me. They had a lot of nicknames for me, by the way, and none of them were particularly positive. Um, and that was that was honestly how my it was about as unglamorous as you could possibly start. Sounds to me like you've come a long way, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I, I have a nicer office, I will say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dave, the great part about this show is that the world is listening, right? Jeff? The whole world is listening, Dave. Yeah. So the whole entire world. Yep. The entire world. So it's a huge audience. So as Jeff tells the guest all the time, don't get nervous. <laughs> <laughs> but what? What, Jeff? I want to. This is normally later in the show we do, but. Right. Dave mentioned that he drove down from so, Southern. Okay, so we usually ask our guests if they traveled from point A to point B 
in their career moving south to Charlotte, North Carolina, as often in, in the racing business people do. What kind of a car did you drive from Virginia to Charlotte, North Carolina? So I'm kind of embarrassed, but I'm going to be honest with you. It's because my friends have told me affectionately that it's it's a chick car. So I had a Volkswagen Rabbit. That is a true story. Yeah, I think I had a Volkswagen. I think more so a Volkswagen Beetle is a chick car than than the Rabbit. Well, well, so so I had I had a Beetle in high school and I wrecked it. But um, I had a Volkswagen Rabbit. I packed it up and I moved to Charlotte. And here's a funny so so true story. I um. I ended up getting a Chevy pickup truck. We were a Chevy team early on. And when I sold my rabbit, the guys in the back would play pranks all the time. And so I listed, you know, back in the, you guys remember when you asked to list cars in a newspaper, like you would do an ad in a newspaper and, and guy, the guys kept pranking me and they would, they would tie tie wraps to the drive shaft. So when someone would test drive my car, it would make this tick, 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 tick. <laughs> and I had no idea and then I remember one of the guys put transmission fluid somewhere that made the car smoke like a rock concert when I would turn it on. <laughs> and, and literally every time someone would come to, to test drive my rabbit, something wacky would be going on with it because the guys in the back were resin with me. I just have this vivid memory. I finally sold the dang thing, not for very much, but fond memories of the pranks in the early. I was an easy target. Let's just say that. Uh, that ain't right. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, but, but CD story. Oh, I got so mad. I got so hacked off. I was like, don't you guys know I went to college? I don't deserve it. And they were like, I, we could care less. And they, were just, they, would, they would torment me. They would just torment me. Yeah, well, that's the great part about the story about the cars. He's had Jeff has asked every yeah, guest. We have yeah. ninety guests, <laughs> and we've had every variation of what they drove, how they drove. But yours is the best story so far. Have of, you had a rabbit yet? Has anyone said a rabbit? I don't think so. <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> I'm gonna guess not. The no. one I always, the one I always refer to as as uh, being on top of the list was Todd Bodine. And he had a Chevette. A Chevette, yep. Nice. <laughs> and he drove a Chevette nice. from upstate New York all the way to Charlotte, North Carolina. That's, that's awesome. But, that's you know, awesome. if you have a Chevette, you can tell people, hey, I got a vet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. Well, talk, true. It's, it's funny you guys are talking about the rabbit and the VW. So I bought the other day, I bought a 68 VW Bug. I found right. a kind, oh, of a, that's kind of a barn find. The thing's like perfect, you know. And I uh, had a 68 in high school. Yeah. Yeah. I had a 69. We could have a reunion, couldn't we? <laughs> All right. All right. I, wish, I wish I'd have saved it, except I crashed it, but that would have been worth something. Yeah. So I need to back way back up in your life for, for a moment because yeah. I, um, you know, we got a little bio from you and uh, it says you grew up in Germany. And that, that caught so, me off guard. I don't know why it caught me off guard, but it did. And uh, that your father was a high-ranking CIA official. That really was kind of exciting <laughs> to me. So Yeah, yeah. Now, Dave, is that something you can talk about? Or if you I do can... tell us about it, do you have to then kill us? Yeah, I may have to out you after the interview. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or off you. But no. So, so, so full disclosure, I was born in Germany. I didn't grow up. So I... I yeah, my, I was born in the U.S. Army Hospital in Germany. Um, I moved back to the States when I was two, so I really have no memory of it. I, one of my sisters was born in Bangkok, Thailand. My dad was all over the world. We moved back to the States when I was two. And yeah, crazy. the, the, the interesting thing is my, my father, until I was in high school, um, we just told me and my sisters he worked at the Pentagon. So I grew up in Northern Virginia. The high school I went to 
you know, most of the kids' parents were government employees. You know, some were senators, Congress, you know, people, whatever. They they worked at some branch of the government. I thought my dad worked at the Pentagon. When I was in high school, he retired from the government and 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 founded an engineering firm. He was also an electrical engineer, super smart guy. And at that point, told us, "Hey, I." I've been working for the CIA, to which we all kind of replied, well, that explains a lot. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, my dad was gone a lot. I mean, he would leave for weeks at a time and he couldn't tell my, you know, he couldn't tell us, we didn't know where he was going and he would go to different countries to to do different operations. So super, um, yeah, I mean, super interesting story. My dad was a very, he was a very talented guy. I mean, he spoke multiple languages. He was like a a gourmet chef and an amazing piano player and you know, he was an electrical engineer, but he was ext- uh, an extreme extrovert. And like you go into a grocery store and he knew everybody. And so I have two older sisters, but as his only son, it was a real tough act to follow. So you can imagine if you fast forward to the story of me in a broom closet, how I felt sitting in a mm-hmm. broom closet in, in Charlotte as an unpaid intern thinking how proud my dad must be of me, yeah, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> thinking what a, what a failure I, what a disappointment I am. And so um, but yeah, no, so that was a, I still have family. My, my wife's family is still in Northern Virginia. My dad passed away in 2010 and, and interesting, a quick story there. My, my, my father was later in his life, started to write a book and, you know, was getting a lot of the stories declassified and he got, he got ill as he started to write the book. And I urged him to let me record all of his stories so that if, if he couldn't finish his book, we could finish it for him. And my dad was kind of ever the optimist and said, no, I'll be good. I'll be good. And he, he passed away before he wrote his book. And so I, knowing my story was much less interesting than a spy story, but it was important to me. And I wanted my kids to, to know my story. That's when I decided I was going to write a book. And I, I actually released my book two summers ago, but I wanted a sort of a documentation of sort of my journey, sort of God's faithfulness in my life and my family's life. And so that was really inspired by the fact that my dad didn't get to share his story with, with us. What was it? What's the book title? So my book is called taking the lead um, business principles that fuel Joe Gibbs racing. And it's kind of a, it's a little bit of a hybrid book. I mean, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, a business principles book from a person who really, I probably had the closest seat to, to our two sport hall of fame owner, you know, over the last 30 years, the kind of business principles I've learned from him and the family. Um, and it also weaves my personal story, um, in there as well. And, and when I wrote it, it was important to me that, um, I didn't want to, I wanted to, I wanted to make sure I didn't want to make any money off it. So again, I didn't, I didn't know if I'd sell one copy or a million copies, but I, all of my proceeds, I donate to the JD Gibbs legacy fund. And we can talk a little bit about JD, I know, but, uh, and that, that that goes to uh, fund some urban ministry here in Charlotte, North Carolina. It was really important to my buddy JD. So anyway, yeah, that was out last last uh, couple summers ago. It's available on Amazon, but uh, proceeds go to a good cause. And it's a it's a if you you know if you're interested in business, particularly, I give it out a lot when I speak at colleges because it does have a lot of good practical principles for young people starting out in their career, but I think for every stage of your career. So, Well, Dave, let's, we got two minutes left in this <clears throat> segment. Why don't we just, just jump into J.D.? I was going to carry, you talked yeah. about it later in the show, but tell us a little bit about J.D. And, of course, we, uh, you know, all the race world knows J.D. unfortunately lost his life a few years back and yeah. uh, was 
going to be the leader or was the leader of Joe yeah, Gibbs Racing. So it was a bit, I, I, from what I was told, it's kind of a, a devastating position for the company at the same time, besides a, a, being a great guy. He was always very nice to me. So I, I really enjoyed being yeah. around him. Yeah, J.D. Um, so J.D. and I met in seventh grade um, and, and kind of became best friends. Our wives are best friends. Uh, J.D. has four boys. I have three boys. Our boys are all best friends and grew up together. We had a real special relationship and and it's very unique to have your best friend also be your boss but it really worked okay for us um <clears throat> and so really for the first 20 years of my career i was more of a chief of staff like i would help jd and coach and and it was a great position because coach i kind of idolized and jd was my best friend um and i thought that's kind of how it was always going to be um jd was just uh in many ways was like my I've described him as my North star in many ways in life. I would kind of just watch JD to see how he would do something. And it was a great model to follow, whether it was, you know, as a worker, as a friend, as a dad, JD just was one of those guys that kind of had life figured out. And uh, he got sick in 2014 and I was named president in 2015. And, and really I basically took my best friend's job to be the president of a family business that I'm not a member of the family of. So, I, I mean, I remember that day like it was yesterday. It was interesting that obviously a lot of people were congratulating me. And for me, it was, it was a, one of the worst days of my life. Cause it was this, it was this realization that this is real and JD's not getting better. Um, and, and fast forward to 2019, JD went to be with the Lord. He, he had a, a, a about a four year illness. It was really difficult. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was an awful set of circumstances. Um, and, uh, I, you know, hey, I, like many of us here, still wrestle with it. Uh, I miss J.D. every day. Um, but, uh, you know, his boys are a big part uh, of, of the company here. Jackson's actually a, a tire changer on Christopher Bell's car, and their family is uh, all in and, and super involved. Well, great. Let's take a break. Good spot for a timeout right there. He's the team president at Joe Gibbs Racing. Dave Alpern is our guest today. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Hi, it's Mike Wallace. You need to get behind the wheel of a vehicle that's built tough with Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln. Right now, you can get $500 off any new or used vehicle that we have in stock. That's right, $500 off any vehicle that's currently in stock. To take advantage of this deal, simply visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com slash Wallace. Don't miss out on this opportunity to save big on our entire inventory. Get $500 off of new and used cars, trucks, and SUVs at Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And... Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. He's the team president at Joe Gibbs Racing, Dave Alpern, on the line. What's Again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, well, Dave, we started, we went forward, we went backwards, and now I want to <laughs> back up just a little bit. When you took that agreement to come to Charlotte and what we'll call that unpaid internship, yeah, did you feel that was going to be your final place, or did you go to school for something totally different and think you were going to go back in a year or two and do what you went to school for, or was this deal with Joe Gibbs yeah. what you were looking for? No, I, I, I definitely did not see this being anything but a stepping stone. So I started college as an electrical engineering major, which if you know me is comical because I'm, I'm neither good at math or science, <laughs> um, So, <laughs> which, which kind of puts a damper on being an engineer. So I switched majors uh, with the intent of being a broadcast journalist. A sports center anchor was my dream job. Um, and clearly, I failed at that as well. So Just to I, let you know, I, uh, Dave, that is a big switch. Electrical engineer to a broadcast <laughs> hey, specialist. <laughs> a, a lot less homework, I can tell you that, yeah. um, in college. It was, it was, a, it was a yeah, pretty significant switch. So after college, um, again, totally came down, not with the intent that this would be forever. Um, but I tell this, and I, I share with students a lot, <clears throat> that early on, even in the broom closet, not getting paid, it became evident to me that the who was much more important than the what, meaning who I was doing it for. We could have been selling coat hangers and it wouldn't have mattered. I loved the who a lot more than the what. What I was doing was, and we can talk a little bit about some of the things I did, but I mean, it, it wasn't very glamorous, but who I was doing it for, I really believed in what the family was about and just wanted to stick around. And And it was, you know, shortly after getting down here to Charlotte that I decided, hey, this this could actually be a career. I think the sport is growing, but I've got to, I really wanted to make a niche. I wanted to make myself indispensable so that at some point, not only would they pay me, but they would say, Hey, this is a guy we can't do without. So that was really my goal early on was to create. I, I say to students all the time, create more value. If you deliver more value than you're paid, you'll always have a job. And when you're an unpaid intern, that's a really low bar. <laughs> <laughs> So, so let's get to that just for a quick second. Yeah. How now be honest with me. Was it really like totally unpaid or was it just not a real structured oh, for salary? The, for, for, no, for the first six months, it was totally unpaid. Then we got a, uh, we got a, we got a, a partner that needed basically a gopher at the racetrack. And I got like a monthly stipend that helped me buy groceries and stuff. So, you know, again, when I came down, it really did start, um, I mean, again, we were a new race team. We didn't have, there wasn't a lot of money and, and I thought it was, uh, you know, going to look good on my resume. So I was able to get paid early on, but it certainly wasn't, uh, it wasn't very much. Yeah. But at some point you must've had all the M&Ms you could eat. <laughs> they no? didn't come along until a while. We had, I had, I got three interstate batteries. I was just saying, plenty of batteries, go. right? That's right. <laughs> I forgot interstate. interstate, yeah. And, and they've been with us 32 years. We were just with them in Texas, so that's a great story, too. But they're the ones that got us started. But, yeah, it was one team. We had Dale Jarrett and uh, interstate batteries, and that was it. 
Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. That's uh, The Dale Jarrett story is amazing. I still remember Dale Jarrett winning the Daytona 500. I Unbelievable. I was at that race. <clears throat> Were you? Oh, that was great. Yeah, I remember Ned, uh, and Ned was on the call. Yeah, Ned that, calling that, that the race. Really cool. and that, was, uh, that, was, that was emotionally cool. And, you know, Joe Gibbs, to us, as race car drivers, we were in the NASCAR world. Here comes Joe Gibbs. He's right. He's this iconic figure from the Washington Redskins. Right. You know, and uh, great great storylines there. So, yeah. w- with yourself, let's just kind of help us move forward through your career. You're in the broom closet. We got that, <laughs> and uh, we're we're kind of in one of those right now, to be honest yeah. with you. But uh, <laughs> nothing glamorous here either. But, but we do have some yeah. plugins and things and some insulation, so we're doing good. But. Uh, in the broom closet days, what I know you mentioned you were kind of, I'll use the word, a liaison from Joe in Washington, the race team. Yeah. I'm assuming, because I've been around the sport a long time, the people like Jimmy Maycar and stuff like that were there then, right? Weren't they there at the uh, start of the team or not? Oh, 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 he was, not only was Jimmy there, I was, and Jimmy knows this now, I was terrified of Jimmy. Like, oh, were you really? Jimmy's, Jimmy's nickname was Mad Dog, and there's a reason for that, but, <laughs> but I, I, I was, I mean, the guys in the back, I told you that a lot, a lot of nicknames for me. One of them was the college puke. And, and <laughs> I, my, my goal was to not be noticed ever by Jimmy Makar. Like, I don't want Jimmy to know I even exist. Um, and so I honestly, I, my, like half of my day was just trying to be where Jimmy wasn't. Like, I don't want Jimmy to notice me because maybe I could stay around. So yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy was there. And, and I honestly, I would do everything from like, I would help book hotel rooms. And I tell students this all the time, try booking a hotel room with no internet. I mean, you guys remember what stuff was like that. Everything was more complicated. Like you had to call a 1-800 number and, you know, there was no, you couldn't just go on a website. Um, And I would, gosh, I put, there were Fridays where we'd be in a thrash and I'd be putting stickers on a car. And, but the thing that really kind of gave me my niche was merchandise. And so early on, I, I, I had this idea. So I, you remember coach is still the coach up in Washington. And so I knew that in Washington, it's a city divided. No one agrees on anything except the football team when they were good. And probably the most popular guy in Washington was Joe Gibbs. And none of the merchandise at RFK stadium where they played at the time had Joe Gibbs's name on it. So I came up with a brilliant idea as an unpaid intern. What if we just sold Joe Gibbs racing t-shirts at RFK Stadium. They don't even care what NASCAR is. It says Joe Gibbs on it. So I figured out how to screen print t-shirts, got the name of the guy that did the merchandise buying at RFK, got a meeting with him. And I I, honestly, I remember the meeting well. The guy said, "I'll, I'll take him on consignment, which by the way, I had no idea what that meant, but I agreed to it. And then he said, get me a PO, which is a purchase order. I had no idea what a purchase order was. Um, but I went up and made a sale and ended up in my Volkswagen bringing a case of white Joe Gibbs racing t-shirts to RFK stadium. I stuck them on an interstate battery standup of Joe Gibbs as my display. And that was how I got my start. The, the shirt sold out and I became affectionately known by coach as the t-shirt guy. And for the first 10 years of my career, that was my niche was I did all the I learned how to do licensing and I made all the toys and the hats and the shirts. And that was really kind of launched when I go back to how do I make myself indispensable? Well, I was the only one who knew how to do that stuff. And that was kind of how I ended up sticking around was through being the t-shirt guy. But it all started with 
screen printing shirts and selling them at RFK Stadium. That's yeah, a great yeah, story. Yeah, so what I'm thinking, he was the only profitable revenue source of the whole company <laughs> at was, that time. Yeah, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a lot, but it was it was definitely in the green. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's great. <laughs> I have to laugh about that. So, uh, well, good job be, being creative. Yeah, yeah. So uh, as you uh, become the T-shirt guy, you went from the broom closet, non-paid intern to the college, yeah. whatever, and you were trying yeah. to trying to stay away from Maycar as much as you could, but by this time he's probably thinking you're okay. They've learned a little bit about you, and I, and, uh, I think it was just recently that he thought I was okay. By the <laughs> way, <laughs> didn't Jimmy just talk about recently retiring or something? Is that why he, he, did, he, he, he is he is semi retired and he'll always be. I mean, we're we're here because of Jimmy. So and we have a great. He is honestly one of the. He's one of the, my heroes. He's a great dude. Yeah. But it's he knows that I was terrified of him. But anyway, I, I met him back yeah. when. Um, he worked with my brother Rusty at Blue Max Racing. That's right. That's you know, in he, fact that's he, where he came from. We took we we got him to come from there on a dream of this startup team, yeah. and uh, it was a big big risk for him. Yeah. Well, sounds like it, it's all turned out well for both of us, and <laughs> it continue yeah. to turn out, and we'll <laughs> keep talking. But hey, uh, on that note, just real quick, congratulations on Saturday's win in the Xfinity race with John Hunter Nemechek. You guys are on a roll there. But, yep. Thank you. But. Uh, so your your specialty is licensing agreements and over at Joe yeah. Gibbs Racing at that time early on, and yeah. uh, as we're trying to do and trying to tr tell all the fans and you're you're teaching your fans uh, what's going on. Let's step to the point just for a second. What, and then we're gonna back up. What does a president of Joe Gibbs Racing do? <laughs> What is that responsibility? Because I, I've noticed uh, you're, you react a little different than some other people I know in that field. Like we had Tim Sindrick on the show from Penske Racing. and uh, But I, I see you're very involved, uh, what I call very involved, like in the social media world. I, 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 I like and watch some of your postings about your business-to-business -business ties and how you – and you're letting people know about it. A lot of guys don't. So tell me what you – what you think your position is as the president uh, of Joe Gibbs Racing? Yeah, well, thanks for asking that. What's interesting is, you know, in the Cup Series, there's only 16 organizations. So there's 16 people that have this job. And what is interesting, and you brought up Tim, there's different backgrounds for each of the team presidents. Um, some are more on the competition side. Some come, you know, there's a couple of them that come from a legal background. I, I'm probably the only one that came from a broom closet, but I, I come more from the marketing and sponsorship side of it. So, um, and that's not uncommon with other pro sports teams. So each of us might have a little bit different focus. I don't think any of our job descriptions are exactly the same. Um, and so, yeah, I, look, I view myself, it's funny, some days I feel like I'm a constant, all I am is a crisis uh, negotiator. Like you're, you're, you're dealing with fires all the time. Um, you have, 450 employees, you have drivers, you have 20 some odd companies that we do business with. Um, you know, there's tracks, there's media, there are things going on all at the time, all the time. So I learned early on, surround yourself with people that are smarter than you, which for me is not super difficult. Um, so I have a team that, you know, a group that we've got, Michael is our chief operating officer, runs everything on the competition side. Eric, uh, uh, came from the NFL, runs everything on the business side. We got Tim handling our is our CFO, handles our finances. Tony is in, is our chief people officer, and so 
the easy answer is I am managing the people that are running the day-to-day -day business. Um, you try to stay at 30,000 feet, but in racing, it's difficult to get out of the weeds because there are so many weeds that <laughs> are coming up around you at all the time. I try to keep our people, make sure everybody has what they need. A lot of the role of a team president is managing up. So you mentioned Tim. Tim's working with Roger Penske and the family. You know, uh, my counterpart at Hendrick is dealing with Jeff Gordon and 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 Rick. I'm dealing with Coach Gibbs and the Gibbs family often and making sure that we're executing the way that they want us to execute, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, makes so, a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah you're, you're managing people. I mean, we're all in the people business, and I, you're definitely managing people. Other than managing people, do you at any time find yourself – just doing something that someone you hire to do does, you know, did, and I'll well, give you a quick example. So, I love this. Yeah. This Greg Penske and I were out of California speedway. We were on Penske. Greg come and got me to do an appearance one morning and we're, we're going into racetrack and we walk in this gate and there's a piece of trash laying on the ground. This is a true story. Absolute true story. Yeah. Piece of trash laying on the ground. And we're walking in, and Greg turns left and walks about 15 feet over and picks up that piece of trash and puts it in the trash can. And I go, wow, I would have never expected that, yeah. you to see, see you do that. He goes, hey, man, we own the place, first of all. He says, I, I pay people to do it, but there's none of those paid people here, so I'm just going to do it and get it done. Right. I wanted to, And I just thought that is stuck in my mind for all these years. Like any place, any building we have, I won't let a piece of trash I won't walk by it. I, I go pick it up, you know. So do, do you find yourself doing anything in the company that, like, well, I got somebody to do that, but I'll just do it here quicker. So, well, interestingly, because of my background, I think the great thing is, particularly on the business side, everyone in the front office knows I've done it. So I, I used to be the T-shirt guy. I did the PR. And, and, and when we would get the scale to bring in somebody that actually knew what they were doing, I would move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. But the good news is like, hey, when I see hats and shirts, I still look at them with my licensing eye of, hey, I want to, you know, is that trademark right? Is it in the right place? Is the color right? So, but, but I think it helps with our folks here because everyone knows like I there's nothing that I haven't done myself. Uh, again, albeit not as well as they're probably doing it, but I've been in the weeds. I've been, you know, where we used to have to drive to all the races and, and I was there to do many of the things in the front, many of the menial things that people have to do. So yeah, I do find myself. And, and then, you know, Mike on the flip side, I, I, there's a phrase imposter syndrome. I get that all the time. I mean, I'll be in a meeting and someone will be talking to me about something and I'll be thinking to myself, the heck are you telling me this for? And then I realize, oh, okay, I'm the president. I guess they are telling me this. But <laughs> since, since I was here in the day where I didn't even get invited to certain meetings, sometimes you're in a meeting going, why is everyone looking at me waiting for me to <laughs> answer this question? Yes. So, so sometimes it's hard to take that intern hat off um, because you still just think, well, why, you know, yeah, I, what business have I to be in this particular meeting? Or Sometimes, why am I making this decision? Sometimes you just got to check your business card. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good summary. Let's take a time out here. He's the team president at Joe Gibbs Racing. He's also known as the T-shirt guy, we've learned. Dave that's Alpert right. is our guest. Right. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media.
Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace is teaming up with Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard to save you money on your vehicle purchase. Right now, you can get $500 off any new or used vehicle in stock. Hey, Mike, there's a landing page online with all the info you need to take advantage of this offer. FordLincolnCharlotte.com slash Wallace. You can view inventory and more. You can even listen to any of the 80-plus episodes of Fast Car to NASCAR while there. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. Today's guest, the president at Joe Gibbs Racing, Dave Alpert, is on the line once again. Here's Mike Wallace. Well, Dave, I'm excited about everything you've had going on, and and believe me, I've lost total direction of our show. But by the time we're done, I guarantee it's going to be good because you say things, you know, from a guy from myself who uh, started a career in NASCAR racing in 1991, started Cup racing in 1994. I know all these what I call old stories. So yeah. you mentioned something there that I'd kind of like you to explain just a little bit to the, the average fan. You said, I remember when we had to drive to the races. Yeah. <laughs> just just highlight that because because <laughs> the, the, there's stories out there that are so wonderful that teams trying to prove to their guys they know what it's all about. Tell, tell people what you mean by we had to drive to the races. Yeah, so we so, – so today – we have eight teams across three series and we have the scale that we can have our own planes. And so that's a huge, you know, we, we love it. It's a, I, I'm grateful every day for it. But part of the reason I'm grateful is because I remember not only when we didn't have a plane, you know, you, you brought up driving to the track, you know, we would fly commercial to go to the like Texas or further, but anything inside of that, um, I mean, I remember Richmond, we would have the Richmond night race that ended at 1130 at night. We would all get in vans and drive home till five in the morning. I mean, it's a wonder we all survived as tired. You know, you work 16 hours at the racetrack and you just get in vans and you didn't you didn't think you just didn't think anything of it. I mean, it was uh, we would meet at the shop. We would get in a 15 passenger van and we would just drive and. I mean, honestly, I have so many early memories of, you know, you're driving through McDonald's or wherever, and it's two in the morning and you're looking for somewhere that's open to get food. And that's just, that's the way it was. And I mean, we talked about Jimmy Makar. Jimmy Makar was the crew chief, but was also the jack man. Like that would never happen today. Like that doesn't, the (laughs) crew chiefs were actually jacking up cars at the time. And it just, you did so much more with so much less back then. You just had fewer people and everybody did everything. Um, and I, again, I thought that's how it was going to be forever. And then again, eventually we got a King air and then we got a bigger plane and then it just grew and grew. And 
Um, now, granted, the schedule got harder, and we went to more places that are further away, and you couldn't do it driving really anymore because we're all back in the shop on Monday morning. But, yeah, no, those were <laughs> – I guess we can call them the good old days. Yeah, so two questions. I'm going to share one with another that another car owner told me. First of all, did you ever lose anybody in transit? <laughs> did somebody ever get out – Go to the bathroom. Okay, that's hilarious. And then and, and jump. you guys jump in the van and take off not knowing you got out. Not that I know of, but had that happened, it would have been me. So yeah. as long as I took care of myself, I would have been the first one to get left, and it might have been intentional. So, yeah. um, <laughs> so, so it's funnier than heck. I, I, I'm sharing a cross story here. I drove for Junie Donlevy at one time. So Junie, everything yeah. was always driving him. And this is before I drove for him. They were going to Texas or something, and he got – out of the van when they got at the gas station, went in to use the restroom. Well, he didn't. He was sleeping when they all stopped. Yeah. So everybody just hopped back in the van and took off. Nobody checked on Junie because they thought he was in the back sleeping. <laughs> yeah, Only awesome. to find out. And his cell phones weren't a big deal back then. So it was the state trooper that pulled over the van, wanted to know where Junie Donlevy was at. Yeah. They said he's sleeping in the back. And they said, look back there and see if he's there. And he said, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's back at the truck stop where you left him at. <laughs> So, that's great that's uh, yeah yeah Listen, i, re- I remember driving it. back from i remember driving back from daytona one year and I, the, a motor coach I, I pass a motor coach on interstate 95 and it's terry labani he's just driving his motor coach and he's driving it back to north carolina and again like you would never see a driver driving his own motor coach back but those again that just was a common occurrence yeah well it was normal then everybody's got pretty spoiled now so it works out really yeah. but i'm gonna tell you what <laughs> I like the spoiled side a whole lot better. Just, <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Yeah. So, Dave, as Joe Gibbs Racing was progressing, and you went through the whole tele or the uh, T-shirt licensing business, yeah. when did you get more involved, and what was the next step of you getting more involved in the daily running or the working with the sponsors? What was the next step in your career internally at Joe Gibbs? Yeah, so it's interesting because even early on, you know, not in the first couple of years, but while I was the t-shirt guy, it was not uncommon for JD and Coach to pull me in a meeting that had nothing to do with my area. Part of it was just because they knew me and they trusted me and they might, I've always joked, Coach manages by proximity. So if you're nearest to him and something happens, you're, you're getting pulled into it. And my, my first broom closet. And then my, you know, as I progressed in my career, my office was always near JD and coach. So I would often just be in the room while they're talking about a driver issue or a sponsor issue. And I would offer my advice and coach started bringing me into more things. So I think that was a big part of it that I think to the outside world, nobody would ever think that I was in some of the meetings I was in early on, but I was. And so I think as coach got more comfortable and started asking for my advice. I mean, I, I think, you know, really well into, as we were a one car team and with Bobby Labonte, I just remember being a big part of a lot of those decisions sort of behind the scenes. Um, again, nobody really knew that. Um, when we decided to expand to a second car, I was kind of part of the group with Jimmy and Bobby that sort of all voted on it. And I actually went with coach and JD to Indiana to recruit Tony Stewart to come over. And I mean, I I have all of these memories that again, most of the outside world wouldn't know that the t-shirt guy was a part of those, but because of my relationship with the family, they just sort of included me in a lot of that. And I think that played a big role in them 
you know, trusting me later on with the job that I have now. Well, you basically, if I may say it right, and correct me if I'm saying it wrong, you, you were there from the start. So you basically knew everything, yeah. right? I mean, even yeah. though you might not have had the title or whatever, but you were, and you and JD were buddies. So you, heck, who, who else would know any more than you would? Yeah, I mean, I knew how the sausage was made, so to speak. I mean, I saw kind of all the stuff, and, and particularly on the business side. Now, I'm as untechnical as they get. I can barely change my own oil, but that's why you hire really good people. That, that's what, that's what <laughs> that I heard about you, yeah. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will say this. I will lump coach into that category, too. So we are, you know, not the most technical, uh, but the, the, the beauty is from the early days, we had people like Jimmy who were, so. Yeah, Dave, you might not know this. I'll, show, I'll share an old story with you. Believe it or not, I worked with Coach once. Coach uh, and myself and Alan Bestwick called the first NBC broadcast race at Homestead, Florida no from way. the booth. Yep. I was. Okay, uh, that's a great, great trivia. That is, that's, yeah, that's awesome. I was uh, so excited. And uh, of course, Joe Gibbs is Joe Gibbs. Right. I mean, it's iconic, <laughs> this iconic person. And, um, Al Allen was to the to the left. I was in the center, and Joe was to the right. And we uh, we we called the first race, and I'm pretty sure it was a Bobby Labonte win at Homestead, or it was a first, second, something like that. Because it was, I remember we all got into the call late in the race. It was a race off a of pit road, and uh, so I I worked for Joe Gibbs at one time. I didn't get paid all by right. him either. I was a un, uh, un, <laughs> unpaid intern for him, but NBC paid me good. Hey, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. I ain't buying that. Yeah. No. no, I got paid, but I just, the joke was I didn't get paid by hey, Joe. Hey, am I crazy, or did Joe Gibbs retire from football and then go back to the Redskins for another stint at? Oh, he went back, yeah. For so from '04 to '07, he go. did a four-year stint, um, and in kind of me and that was really the first time he was like, all right, JD. You got it. And we won a championship the next year. We won a championship in 05 with Tony Stewart. And for me personally, that was one of the most gratifying ones because, you know, seeing my buddy JD do the championship speech and not his dad and kind of going, hey, it, it was really the, almost like the passing of the torch. Like, all right, the kids got this. You guys, you guys can do this without me. And being a DC native, obviously, it was a dream for me for coach to go back because, you know, they're my beloved team and they needed him. And so it was a that was a really really memorable uh, time. Quick story on that. It was kind of funny. Coach flew to testing in Daytona, and he had to tell he had to tell Tony and Bobby that he was um, uh, he, he had to tell the drivers that he was taking this new job. Uh, and he he went to tell him, but he flew down in the Washington Redskins airplane that had a huge helmet on the side of it. So he lands in this plane and he goes to meet with the drivers and they were like, yeah, we already knew. And he was like, how did you know? And they said, well, it was kind of obvious when you landed in the airplane. <laughs> in the know, Redskins in airplane. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yes, he did. He, and interesting. He, he went back and signed a five-year contract and he ended up leaving after four because um, if you remember uh, and their family's been through so much, JD's youngest son, Taylor, who was, uh, you know, barely two years old at the time, had leukemia. Um, and he ended up making a full recovery. He's a freshman in Clemson. He's, he's an awesome kid. But coach, coach wanted to be there and be around the family and have time to spend with Taylor during his treatment. And so he left a year early and, 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 and in 2008. And then Taylor um, ended up being cancer-free and has, has just been is an awesome kid. But he was going through that at the time. But, yeah, he went back for four years. Gotcha. 
Where do you think that FedEx sponsorship come from? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's well, there, there no, madnesses going on, man. <laughs> I, no, I was, hey, that was 100% the genesis of it was the relationship there with, uh, you know, Mr. Fred Smith, who founded FedEx, and it was FedEx Field. And, no, we flew down to meet with them. Um, absolutely. It's one of my favorite memories. And we they got into the sport. And that that really was the catalyst. That all happened about that time. And then we – Ended up getting Denny Hamlin and the rest is history. Yeah, yeah, you guys have done very, very well there. And uh, so th through the process, you, how am I trying to say this? You, you, I'll start with this part of it. I, I like this part. You were mentioned that through all the championships, you got invited to the White House numerous times. Just another perk. Did, did you attend any of those or did, or did you just have an invite? Uh I did. I did. So um, there's a picture kind of sitting next to me here. And keep in mind, I, I grew up in D.C. and my dad worked for the government. So the thought the thought of, you know, I drove by the White House a thousand times in my life, but had never seen it out the window from the inside. And um, to get to visit, we, we I, I got to make two. Uh, I got to meet President Bush and President Obama. Actually, we won in 2019. And the, the month that we were supposed to go is when the world shut down from COVID. So we, we didn't get to go on our last one. But, yeah, just amazing to me. Uh, I won't get political, but I've never understood why someone wouldn't go on a White House visit, whether you voted for the person or you didn't vote for the person. You get you get a chance to be one on one with the, you know, the leader of the free world. And it's uh, it's an honor and it's amazing to get to go there. So I, I, I again, huge huge honor for us just amazing um you know particularly the first visit to think this all started in a broom closet and now i'm actually getting to meet the president at the white house it's pretty cool that's pretty cool absolutely yeah it's way <laughs> yeah. cool and that's why i thought about it and, and like you said regardless of your political views you're getting yeah. acknowledged for something that you did exceptional and it just happens to be the president of the united states is giving you that honor so um I, I was wondering what what your opinion was at, and you've just explained it, so that that's all. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So when, as I guess we'll move to the point of saying where when JD's not starting to feel good, you know, uh, up to this point you're you're progressing along through Joe Gibbs Racing. You're working with, of course, the T-shirt world. You're in all the meetings that's happening with family. You're you're sitting kind of close, so you're hearing everything. You are the liaison you're the guy that's yeah you're the family tie basically at that point so when, when jd gets to where he's not feeling good what responsibilities then did you have to start taking on that uh you hadn't been doing or was it just a continuation of what you were already doing yeah so there, there was a there was a really a, a, a full year of this just jd was jd was sick but he was coming in every day and at first we didn't know what was wrong with him and, and um, he just seemed distant and, and we just weren't sure. And he ended up kind of going to the Mayo Clinic and they realized there was, you know, some serious stuff going on there. And, and I would say during that year to year and a half transition, none, it, a lot of it was unofficial. It was just, I just began doing a lot of things. So I just started going to meetings. Like we didn't want to put JD in a position uh, a bad spot. So I would either go with him to meetings that maybe would have just been him, or sometimes I would go instead of him. Um, and, and so it was, it was that kind of thing. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, his dad obviously 
started taking on a lot of the things that he had given back to, to, to JD. So I think it was just, it really was a group effort. We, we all kind of started covering for him and, and JD continued to come in for, for many years, um, you know, towards the latter portion of his illness, most of his coming in was just that he would go down to our training facility and, and do some different physical therapy things and uh, with, uh, with doctors and, and therapists and stuff. But um, yeah, it was a very, just a gradual unofficial thing. I think it was again, about a year into his illness that I think the family came to me and asked me to officially do that. And it was, uh, yeah, it just really was surreal. And I, I, I can't put my finger on one thing is just a number of, um, functions that normally the team president would go to or meetings that he would be in that I just started going to. And I had been to a number of them before, but JD was always with me. So when I started going without JD, that was the part when it really was, it was weird. It was odd because JD was kind of my wingman and um, to not have him there was, and still is. I mean, if I'm honest, it's been, you know, eight, eight years and it's, in some ways, it's still not natural to me. It's still almost uncomfortable that I'm like, like I'm just keeping this seat warm until somebody named Gibbs can take it at some point. And that's right. kind of always how I felt. Hey, let's take a break there. Take a time out here. He's the team president at Joe Gibbs Racing. Dave Alfern is our guest today. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the SpeedSport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Hi, it's Jeff Kent. You need to get behind the wheel of a vehicle that's built tough with Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln. Right now, you can get $500 off any new or used vehicle that we have in stock. That's right, $500 off any vehicle currently in stock. To take advantage of this deal, simply visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com slash Wallace. Don't miss out on this opportunity to save big on our entire inventory. Get $500 off new or used cars, trucks, and SUVs at Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard now. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to the SpeedSport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. Team President Joe Gibbs Racing, Dave Alpern. Let's bring it home. Here's Mike Wallace. Well, Dave, we've talked about everything leading up to today, I'll call it that way. But we're going to back up to the point of when Joe Gibbs Racing totally established itself as a powerhouse team. And, we're, you know, of course, we're going to miss a few parts that we didn't get early. But I need you to take me to where you become a multi-car team. You're a four-car team. Yep, yep. Toyota has come to you. You were a Chevrolet team back in the day. And you make that decision that you're going to change manufacturers, and you become the guys, the team. Tell us about that yep. in our life. 
huge, huge, huge decision. And, and I'll back you up to the beginning real quick. Joe Gibbs Racing has always had what I call our North Star. And it sounds kind of simple, but it's 100% true. And that is, we call it our one question. And so since day one, we knew that, hey, if a football coach was going to be able to compete with the icons of the sport, you know, Hendrick, Penske, Childress, you know, you, you just go down the list, um, that we, we had to have, we had to be laser focused. And our North Star was the one question. Every decision we made, we asked the question, does this make us go fast? From day one, anytime we hired a person, anytime we made a capital purchase, we would point to our North Star, does this make us go fast? And uh, I, I, <clears throat> I tell the story for the first 10 years in our current building, we didn't have a sign out front because the business park wanted too much money. And we kept saying that ain't making us go fast. Let's put it somewhere else. So we, we've been very consistent of that. And so when we had the opportunity to go to Toyota, we had a great relationship with GM. We'd actually won three championships on paper. It seemed crazy. But we knew we would always be a small fish in a big pond if we stayed at GM. And we, we just felt like, hey, the way that Toyota was setting up their racing program more on quality than quantity, that we, it was a huge opportunity. And I can tell you, it, it, we almost had a revolt in the building because you can imagine, hey, we're a multi-championship team. We're going to switch to a manufacturer, which means throwing everything out that we built <laughs> and starting over again. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We're going to build all new chassis and cars. And man, this seems crazy. And um, at the same time, we were looking for a new driver for the 18 car. And, and we found a kid named Kyle Bush, who was a young talent, but, you know, didn't work out at Hendrick. And so 2008, we switch. We've got this new guy, Kyle Bush, who goes with Denny Hamlin. And boom, he wins eight races the first year and the rest is history. And so it really, we were already a championship team, but I do feel like that moved to Toyota and the way they're set up and the way we changed sort of the way we, we, we do car builds and things really catapulted us to another level. And yeah, it's been a, um, probably honestly, maybe the single biggest and best decision we ever made in our 30 years was making that change in 2008. So help me help, help our race fans. When Toyota came into the sport and I drove a Toyota in 2007, 2008. So I'm great people to yeah, work with. Right. I love working yeah. with them, but there's a, you know, the, the old hardcore NASCAR fan. Okay. Going, oh, that's a Japanese car company. You don't want to support yeah. them. It's a rice burner. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, everything. Tell us what your thoughts were. Did you guys even have any thoughts on that? And what did Toyota do once you guys made an agreement that that helped you and allowed you to become a dominant race team? I mean, you guys aren't just a race team. You are a dominant race team. Yeah. Well, and, I'll, yeah. You, well, that's two parts. So I'll address the first part. Look, I can't speak for is there a percentage of fans that feel that way? There are. And, and look, if you're going to be totally consistent across the board with the clothes you wear and the TVs you buy, knock yourself out. But um, I would say, you know, Toyota builds their cars in the U S in fact, more of their cars are manufactured in the U S than some of the other auto manufacturers and making them in Kentucky. And, and all that to say, I mean, the Camry is for 18 straight years, the best selling car in America. So um, look, we, we had we had no issues with that. We understand there's some people who did and who do. Um, as to the second part, and, and some of this has changed since then, but at the time, the best way I can describe it is 
um, the other two manufacturers were more of a sponsor. In other words, they gave money to the teams and kind of said, figure it out yourself, and that's great. The way Toyota came into it was different. They built a R&D center right here in Salisbury. They embedded more than a dozen people in our building. So instead of just handing money and saying, have at it, it was, we're going to roll up our sleeves and have at it with you. It was like they're a partner and they come in and you attack projects together. And that was just the difference. And, and again, I know that the others have, you know, morphed a little bit and, and, and there's a lot more similarities in the way that they go about it. But the people at, the people at Toyota that were dealing with us were not marketing and sponsorship people. They were engineers and racers. And that's the difference that they, they came at it with people who were racers and immediately we, we had a huge benefit to each other. And it's been a, it's, and, and again, less, fewer teams, more focus, let's have them all run well, instead of just having a bunch of teams in the field and having different tiers. There you go. So, because we're going to run out of time if I don't ask these what I call simple questions. And they're not so much right. about Dave Alpern questions, but Kyle Busch decides to leave Joe Gibbs Racing, right? That was a big talking point. That was a big deal. Doesn't look like it's affected you guys very much. What 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 went on in that little period of time? <laughs> so, well, look, Kyle Busch is a once-in-a-generation talent. He's still in his prime. Anytime you lose that, there's going to be an effect. Nobody here would suggest that Kyle isn't a first ballot Hall of Famer, and we had an incredible, incredible 15 years together. Um, we're also a business and a pro sport. Um, in the same way, Tom Brady will go into the Hall of Fame as a New England Patriot. There came a time where both the finances and other circumstances lent itself to him going on and having a few years and some success at a new place. That's kind of what happened with Kyle um, for some different reasons. And again, there's been a lot said that it was just because we lost the sponsor. And there were dozens of small things that sort of led to that. Yes, economics were part of it. Sponsorship was part of it. Um, you know, the fact that we had another driver uh, sort of, you know, ready to move up if we, you know, if, if Kyle moved on. So it's always timing and other factors and so it's, you know, he moved on and look, he's done, he's won three races. He's, he's, he's doing well as we knew he would. And again, there, there, there's sometimes the misconception that this was, you know, Hey, Kyle can't drive anymore and he's going to move on. And, 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 you know, ultimately um, we actually made Kyle an offer uh, in, in the negotiation. He ended up not taking it. Um, he had a chance to do a multi-year deal somewhere else and, and he went and did that and, and we wished him well. And we're moving on in our way, and I think we'll both be okay. I, I would say one thing I want to add, probably the hardest part of my job is that is you, the drivers become part of your family. And so as you go back in our history, there's always times you move on from one driver to the next. Um, and that is, that is really difficult. The human part of it is just really difficult because we are running a business, and there's business factors and sponsorship factors that often the fans don't see. Um, but that's, that's a really – that's a really tough part of what we do. Well, Jeff, you remember what Dave? You'll love that. I think you'll enjoy this. As it's tr I'm trying to be humorous right now. Okay, just to, so when Jeff, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when Jeff and I first started doing this show a year and a half ago, we uh, we were discussing our careers, and we've got fired. Right, it happens to the and, best. And you know? And, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, as a race car driver, I had more than one firing, and. Uh, I says the one thing that always bothered me because I always felt like I was trying to be 
friends to the team. You know, I was trying to be a family member. I says, and then they always just tell you, man, don't let it bother you. It's just business. It's right. It's a business. Just business. We're, we're going to move on. And it's not personal. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it is, actually. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> when you well, said. Coach says all the time, it's not business, it's relationships. And so when you have relationships, it's difficult when you move on from a relationship, no matter, even if, even if it, even if it makes makes sense we had to move on from daniel suarez to get to martin truex and again all of those are really really difficult because you have relationships and you recognize that this person is a you know is a soul you know they're not a transaction and it's difficult right so there's a couple other things i want to talk about and I got, i'm trying to fit these into the progression where they work so going back kind of on a a positive but bad note all at the same time you have joe gibbs's grandson ty gibbs this phenomenal little talent. I call him little because he's little. You know, I don't know. Yeah. You know, short, young guy, very polite to me. I, you know, I have nothing but adamant, you know, passion for the kid. He does good. He wins a championship. And unfortunately, JD's brother, Coy, another successor in the program, yeah. passes away. How does, how does a race team deal with that? I mean, you, now you've got. I mean, I know how you deal with it. You keep going. But what was that point about? Yeah. Or what was that like at that particular moment? Yeah, Mike, it was uh, one of the most surreal things we've all experienced in our lives to go from that emotion of the night before and the shock of championship morning here that we'd lost Coy and that Coach had lost his, you know, his second son and also at the age of 49 and, you know, his four kids had lost a dad and Heather had lost her husband and we'd all lost a brother and a friend. And, um, you know, I, I actually say this in my book, I have had many Lieutenant Dan moments in my life. Kind of, if you remember in the movie, uh, Forrest Gump, when Lieutenant Dan was up on the mast, having it out with God. And sometimes you, you have those cause life's not making sense to you. Um, and I, I, you know, consider myself a person of faith and, and, and that was difficult. And, and, you know, I, I do believe that God's in control and he loves us. And so we often have to, we may not always like it, but we have to understand that. Um, and so all that to say, really, really difficult time. Um, the Gibbs family is one of the, it's just probably the most rock solid family I've ever met, particularly in their faith. And, and we've gotten through it, but it's, you know, I would be lying if I didn't say it was devastating. And, and we're, we're big planners and we've been working on different succession planning scenarios and, I can tell you none of those scenarios contemplated what has happened to this family. And um, all that to say, the family is fortified and strong that they want to be in racing forever. There's eight grandkids, four on Koi's side and four on JD's. As I said, one of JD's is on the pit crew. One of Koi's is doing a pretty good job driving. You got more coming. There's a bunch of them in college and they're heading this way. Um, and we're going to be in this for the long haul. But the family, I would say, how do we get through it? Um, a lot of prayer a lot of great people um, and, and just everybody kind of pulling together. It, it, it's been, it's been really, it's been tough. And, and that kid, Ty, that kid has been through, let me tell you something. He's a tough sucker. Um, <laughs> and I was with, and I, and I was with him that day and saw how he handled that, that, that kid is, is wise beyond his years and has been through a lot. The whole family has and Heather, they're all just, it is a strong, strong family that I admire a great deal. Right. Well, I didn't. I really didn't want to bring those situations up, but I, I think it's a very important part of your position within the company. Yep. You know that that's a hard deal. You and you guys have overcome it. 
You know, you're you're dealing with it, you're accepting, you're whatever, but you're moving on, and you prove that you can still win races. And you got a couple extra minutes by any chance? Absolutely. Okay. I was just going to say. I mean, that's everyone listening. That's all leadership is 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 just dealing with difficult situations. Is how do you handle it? And and we all hey, you get situations that you just got to handle them. Yeah. So, kind of getting to the end here, Denny Hamlin. Okay. Yeah. De- Denny Hamlin has come. Uh, I don't know if you call it some he, some circle. He, he, I know he, where this is going. Okay. Well, <laughs> well I, I mean, he goes from you know just a, a kid, you know the kid that had no yeah. money, yeah, 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 picked up by Joe Gibbs and just struggling to make a living to sometimes a little cocky, a little arrogant, making plenty of money, doing everything. Then he decides he's going to own a race team with. Who else? Michael Jordan, right? right? Of course. Yeah. yeah. And, and Why wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> and so how how does that factor in, you know, a quick minute conversation? How does how do they propose that to you? How And where do you play in that factor? How does how does Denny Hamlin go? Hey, you know, I want to I want to own a race team when you're probably sitting there going, well, you need to focus on driving the race car more. And you need to worry about right. this other stuff. Uh, yeah, no, there there was a lot of background to it. You know, Toyota had been wanting to maybe do some other things, and MJ had really shown a lot of interest in getting into racing. And so, yeah, no, it, I remember the first conversation was kind of like, you want to do what? Um, but I think as we talked about it, um, you know, just the alliance made sense. It made sense. Again, one of the things, if it, if it makes sense for your biggest partner, which is Toyota, you consider it. And obviously it was a big deal to Toyota. Denny made it very clear from the beginning, I want to retire in the 11 car. This will be what I do after I retire. And we understood that. Um, we understood that these off- these opportunities don't come all the time. And so it actually wasn't as complicated as you think. Um, I, I, I don't know how Denny does it. You know, you know, I think he's, um, you know, he's an owner from Monday to Thursday and then Friday through Sunday, he's a driver for Joe Gibbs racing and he does a really good job separating them. Um, you know, every now and then you may have something here or there. And now he's got a podcast and he's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's all in, man. He's all in. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, very outspoken individual. Yeah. Well, it just seems like he, uh, he's changed a lot. I don't know if it's good way, bad way, positive way. I don't know, you know, but uh, I, I, just think ask, I think he's got it going on, honestly. Yeah. And uh, hey, let me ask you an honest question. Cause really he does get a lot of booze. Yeah. And, and again, it, the great thing, as many drivers have said, I remember Tony telling me, it's when they don't have an opinion of you that you should worry. So the fact that they're making noise, I guess it's good. But honest, honest question. Like, if I were just new to the sport and picking a driver, so many drivers are totally vanilla. They don't say anything. You don't know anything about them. They don't let you in. Denny is the opposite. He's got an interesting life. He's friends with Michael Jordan. He plays basketball and golf, and he's He's he, he gives you his opinion, and I, I don't know I, if it were I, I, my opinion is I don't know why you wouldn't be a Denny fan. I mean I I don't I guess I don't get I don't get why it's not at least fifty. <laughs> oh, and I, I think it will be. But, I, I love yeah. it to be honest with you, and that's yeah. why I kind of asked you the question. I mean, and we can talk yeah. and converse about this for a long time. I, I uh, the sport is too vanilla right now. Okay, you got to remember I raced against Dale Earnhardt. I raced against my brother oh, yeah. Rusty Wallace. I. Terry Labonte, characters, I will call them. You know, everybody had their 100%. own kind of, you, you liked yeah. them because of whatever. You know, and I, I, we look at the great Jimmy Johnson, the one of the best race car drivers ever that I don't think he ever got the respect he deserved as a seven-time champion 
because he was never controversial. Right. He was always wanting to just say everything yeah. right. And I, I and think, he won too much. Yeah. And I think <laughs> Denny, uh, in retrospect, Denny's playing into everybody's hands, you know. But <laughs> but and but he's also allowing a few things to happen that keeps a little controversy. It's like. Just a month ago, you know, we had a little Ford controversy that Ford was going to court Denny Hamlin and Denny wasn't right, commenting right. on his contract. And is there, you know, is there problems that Joe Gibbs racing? What's that going to do? And it's just um, which there never was. Right. Which which we've had that squared away for a long time. I will tell you this, this Netflix show coming up. They need to rename it the Denny Hamlin show because they are with him all the time. I think this show is literally going to be about Denny Hamlin. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. Well, well, this show, as much as we could uh, do it, was about Dave Alpern. We really appreciate you coming on today. Like I said, Dave, you're a good talker. Yeah. I went by pretty quick. Yeah. And, well, it, well, th- well, well, thank you, guys. And if you don't mind, maybe we can uh, keep it on the list and maybe we can do a follow-up show. But we've used up all our time and some, so we're uh, we're excited. Thank you very much. You've done an incredible job in your career from the uh, broom closet intern to the president of Joe Gibbs Racing, and you're still winning races in a position to win a championship. So great job. And the T-shirt guy. Hey, thanks. The T-shirt guy. (laughs) Well, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, Again, really appreciate the time. Great show, and uh, appreciate all you guys. Hey, hey, Dave, I would normally do this when we get off the air, but I'm scared you might hang up. So (laughs) before I get to say it, you know, I I know you guys have that, uh, you know, Xfinity car that you run a few different drivers in now and then. Uh, all right, all right. You, you got to dust off the fire suit. Mike Wallace <laughs> would love a comeback in a in a Joe Gibbs car. And, all right, uh, all right. I know, I know a guy. So uh, <laughs> yeah. So if you happen to know a connection right. over, let's follow this conversation. Completely up. shameless. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Jeff, you told I me to it. use it to fullest of my it. ability. He's, uh, he's a driver. Yeah, he's a driver. It never changes. There you go. Yes. All right. Thank you, Dave. He's the team president at Joe Gibbs Racing, Dave Alpern. You've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media.